Okay, so let's kind of recap. We're, we're looking at a letter. And uh, chapter 2 of Revelation is made up of seven letters to seven churches that really represent regional house churches. Okay, so John is receiving this, this vision, right? He's writing it down on a scroll. Eventually, the scroll is going to be taken out, and it's going to be delivered to, remember we talked about this last week, the angels of the churches. Okay, now in, in Judaism... There's a sense in which the Jews would say, well, every church has an angel over it, a messenger of God who is a spiritual being who has the, the job of actually walk, watching over that, that church. And that's, I mean, we could, we could think of it that way. We could say, yes, all right. Does Peace Lutheran Church need an angelos, an angel? Yeah, absolutely. We need, we need a big one. We need a whole fleet of them. Send, send the crew, right? Um, but there's a second sense of the word. And we, we talked about this last week. That the second sense of the word angel also translates into just the simple word messenger. And so I asked you last week if any of you had seen angels. Some of you said, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen angels. All right. And uh, I'd, I'd be counted amongst those of you who would say, I've seen a, a supernatural being that is an angel. Um, can we say that as Christians? Absolutely. What does the book of Hebrews tell us? That we will, many of us will entertain angels, and we may even become unaware of it, and you may be aware of it. But the reality is, when I asked you the question, it was a trick question, right? Do you know any angels? And um, husbands, I helped you out a little bit last week. I said, just look at your wife and say, I know an angel right there. Right? Why? Because we're, we're all, every one of us in this room is a messenger of God. Well, when, when John is writing this letter, he says, take this and give it to the angeloi, the angels of the churches. He's talking about the pastors, all right? Those who are heading up these house churches. Um, typically, you would have a, a region that would be made up of a number of house churches, and then you would have somebody acting almost like a bishop regionally, drawing those churches together in a way that allowed them to go out and to have impact together, uh, both in the temple and in the marketplace, all right? So seven letters going out to these home churches. Imagine getting a letter, and you open it up, and it's from John. And unmistakably, you stop. And what happens inside of your mind is you're, you're saying to yourself, this, this, is not just, uh, this, this is not junk mail, right? This is the last apostle. This is a guy who's been living in Ephesus and serving as the bishop there for, for a number of years, now a, now a prisoner on Patmos. Everybody knows John. So you get that letter, you open it up, and you say to yourself, okay, we better pay attention. And the first words out of John's mouth is, I'm going to give you an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. This is actually a word from Jesus to you, the church. Three, three things are true of, all, of these letters. All seven of them have within them some encouragement. All right, so if Jesus were to write a letter to this church, he would begin with encouragement. And it's just important to be able to say, look at these things that you're doing well. And as we read through these letters, pay attention to those things. We're going to today because they help, they help a body understand what's critical to Jesus. What should a body be doing, right? So pay attention to the words of encouragement. What is he encouraging, okay? Second component of it is there's always a, a but in there, right? But there's a rebuke. And we talked about this last week, that rebuke is not a negative word. In fact, oppositely, 
the, the purpose of rebuke is to bring someone back. Okay? So if, if Jesus is talking to this church and he says, hey, these things you're doing very well, but I have this against you. Okay, you, you, don't, you don't go, oh, you go, talk to me. I want to hear it because what he's trying to do is, is what? Strengthen his body. And it needed to be strengthened. I think, in fact, um, the, one of the reasons Revelation is so significant to the church today is we are, I mean, think about this. We're, we're several thousand years post John. And we know that we're in the end times. And we know that there's a battle going on for souls. And so now more than ever, bring it on, Jesus. Talk to your church and allow us to hear you say, this I have against you. We need to welcome those words because they, they help us correct, right, what is not right inside of the body. Okay, and then the third, the third part is just that. It's, it's repent. Repent is that, that 180 move. It's, it's turn back to me. And, and the reality of it is that whenever you hear the word repent, you know, immediately think Holy Spirit of God. Because the reality of it is that on an individual level or even a corporate level as a body, when we hear Jesus say to us, repent, there's a part of our minds that thinks we can do that. I can change. I will change. I won't be a different person. The reality of it is, if you try to repent in your own strength, you'll fail. You won't make it, right? It's why so many people stuck in addictions, they do what? They go back and they go back and they go back and they go back. How many times have they said, I will never, ever do that again? How many times have you said that? And you go back. Why? Our strength, we do it. And so the call is a call to, to what? To rely upon the Spirit of God, to just admit to Him. Every single day you wake up, admit to Him, today I'm going to fail. If I live today in my strength, I know I'll fail. Lord God, would you be my strength today? Begin every day that way. And as a body of people, imagine the home church, right? That's what it was. What does Acts chapter 2 tell us? How often did they meet? Daily. Coming together every day in their homes. And one of the first movements that they make is to come before Jesus and say, if we try to do what you've called us to do on our own strength, we'll fail. Would you be our strength? Right? And so that's, that's the intention of these letters. Okay. So um, we're looking now at this first letter. It's uh, the beginning of chapter 2. It's the letter that is written to the church in Ephesus. It's an important town. This actually is where uh, John served regionally as a bishop. Some, some just fast facts about Ephesus, uh, if, if you want to keep this in your mind. It's at the mouth of the Castor River, which is at the mouth of the Aegean Sea. Its population looks a little bit like Lincoln, Nebraska. It's about that size, Ephesus, about 250,000 uh, at the time that this letter is being written. It's a fairly large town, all right? If you've ever been to the ruins in Ephesus, you get a sense for that. Um, a number of, of the places where, where Paul spent his ministry are, are almost ornate. I mean, if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Corinth, uh, you, you think, just, oh my goodness gracious, what a beautiful, beautiful town. Ephesus is not. Ephesus is a pretty basic town, but it's big. And it's known for its agora, or its marketplace. 
Um, several things you would have noticed if you were alive at the time that uh, John is writing this letter. You're a church in a city that has a temple dedicated to the Flavian emperors. Okay, so these are people like Titus. Remember who Titus was? 70 AD, what did Titus do? Tore down the temple. Titus is the guy who attacked the temple of God and tore it down to the ground. And now you're sitting in Ephesus and they actually have a, a temple dedicated to him. What a great man. He's gotten those Jews, he finally silenced them, tore down their temple. What a great man. This temple is dedicated to Domitian. Domitian is, is one of these guys who uh, ramped up the persecution of the Christians. He's killing Christians right and left. So you're in a city that's lifting these guys up and saying, these guys are like our gods. They're our heroes, right? You're a church in that city. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's also a temple to the goddess of love, Diana. How many of you ever seen the Parthenon? Ever see the Parthenon? Okay, a couple of you have. Picture of the Parthenon. Ever seen a picture of the Parthenon? Okay. All right. It's not a small building, the Parthenon. The temple to Diana in Ephesus was four times the size of the Parthenon. It's a big facility. So what are they saying? We lift up our emperors as God, and our, our, chief, our chief goddess is the goddess of sex. Well, right? You're in that town what are you going to do? Now, if you live in that town, one of, the, one of the prominent sects that exists is called the Nicolaitan sect. Okay, so you'll hear that word used a couple of times. And, and the question is, what, what, who were the Nicolaitans? All right, so, so the, the derivative, the, the place or the beginning of the Nicolaitans is unknown. Some people suggest that, that, that the teachings of the Nicolaitans actually began... Uh, in a good way, based upon this character that you find in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles are appointing seven individuals who are going to help them serve uh, the church at that time. One of those was Nicolaus. Okay? And so uh, some people suggest that the Nicolaitans took the teachings uh, or the writings of Nicolaus and distorted them and what they become by the time John is writing this letter is what we would call an antinomian sect. In other words, they are anti against the law. And they're very, they're very much in the right place because they promoted things like freedom of sexuality. Okay? And, uh, and so you've got this sect that is, is, is presenting itself actually as teaching God's word and in fact is not. All right, so a little bit of background if you kind of put yourself into that place. Why significant? I'm going to come back to this over and over and over and over again, so just, just listen, to, listen to me. Each of these seven churches, one thing I want you to notice about them is they, they have to pay attention to their local circumstances. What's going on in our town? Because God has placed them there for a reason, to impact what is going on in their town. And so you've got a church of people, a body of people. Just put yourself there in Ephesus. You're living in this town where people are, are I mean, this is bad to say. Did I say it? Well, I guess I will. You get out into Colorado and, and, and what, you got yourself what? I mean, they're selling the, the brownies, the, the Girl Scouts figured it out, you know. They set up their Girl Scout cookie stand outside the marijuana stand. 
because these guys are puffing away and they come out, they got the munchies, here's the Girl Scout cookies. They're making a fortune just sitting out there in Colorado. Well, not all of Colorado is bad. I know that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if you're living in that city, wouldn't you say to yourself, this is a mess. We got a mess on our hands here. All right. So that, that's what's going on in Ephesus. All right. So the letter, the letter begins, and, and we, we looked at, at this last week, to the angel or the pastor, if you will, the church in Ephesus, write, write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among his lampstands. We pay a little bit of attention to these next words last week. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Okay? And last week we took those words because I think they're, they're critical for us. What does Jesus look at when he looks at a church? I put you there in that place to make a difference. Here's what I'm going to watch for. Your, 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 your works, your fruit, and your endurance. All right? Your fruit, karpan. Okay? What, what is he watching for? The, the Lord of the church says, you, I put here to impact your local circumstance. Here's the fruit that I want to see. Conversion. People coming to know Jesus Christ. People coming out of these sects. People coming out of paganism and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ look for when he looks at this church? We have, I just saw this today, I was looking at it. We publish in our little, there's a little connections thing, if you've ever read that. We publish things like, here's how much money that came in. Here's how many people that are sitting in the seats. You know what Jesus says? I don't care. What's your fruit? This week, how many people came to know Jesus Christ because of us in this city? How many of you believe that there's unbelievers in this city? How many of you believe that? I think I've met a few. Okay. So that's, that's what he's watching for, right? I mean, the Lord of the church is saying, what's going on with your body? You're getting together. You, you, you put a lot of money in the offering plate. You, you have a lot of things that you're doing. How many people are coming to know me? Through you. That's what the Lord of the church is looking for. Second thing he's looking for is, is what we call the ergon, the works. What are your, what are your works? Now, we looked last week at a, at a passage that a lot of Lutherans get the heebie-jeebies about in, in the book of James, where, where actually James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that works are important to God. Why? Well, the, again, they're an indicator of his movement within us. Okay? Are we saved on the basis of our works? No. But at the same time, listen, you can't have faith without works, right? That's what he's looking for. Third thing he's looking for, uh, patient endurance, shupomene. Patient endurance is kind of an interesting one to me because it means will you hold up under the battle? And the reality of shupomene, patient endurance, is this. No, we won't hold up under the battle. We'll quit, we'll complain, we'll blame, we'll do all kinds of things, but we will not hold up under the battle. Here's what destroys churches, is they think we can, we can make our strategic plans and we can put our budget together and we can have all these ministry things going on and we're going to depend upon who? Us. And now here comes the battle. Trust me when I say that, that the, the, the fallen angels that... that serve our enemy are alive and well and at work in the church more so than outside of the church what are they doing we're going to take these people down 
We're going to create schism in the church. We're going to create division in the church. This person doesn't like that person. I don't like this. I don't like that. I, don't, I want this. I want that. And all of a sudden, guess what you got? A body of people with no fruit and no works because they're depending upon themselves. Here's what the Lord of the church is asking. Are you depending upon me? It's never about, I want this, I want this. It's just about what? Servanthood. Surrender all of that. I want, I want, I want. And come before me. Allow me to work through you. These are the things that he's looking for as he's looking at the church of Ephesus as he looks at any church today. And all three of them are significant. All right, let's go to this next word because I think it's the word of the day. He says, I've noticed that you cannot bear, I'm in verse 2, you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. Very significant. Why? Well, this is, this is the encouragement word. And I want you to pluck it off the tree and put it in the fruit basket because it's very, very helpful for us as a body today. One, one of the things that happens when you go to war for Jesus Christ is you'll find yourself in a culture that promotes or pretends to be of God, religious, spiritual. But it's not. And the question on the table is, can you, do you know the difference? Can you tell the difference between what is real and right and what is counterfeit? Okay. Here's who I think about immediately. I mean, just like that, I think about, I think about my son. And the day he said to me, Dad, I'm going to go to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. And out he went. I think about the first class that he had in philosophy. And that phone call that I got. Dad, I think I'm going to make an F. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, what's, what's going on now? He said, well, I'm writing this paper for my philosophy teacher and he doesn't quite like it because I'm talking about God and he doesn't like God. I might make an F. Okay. When, our, when we send our kids out into this culture today, let me tell you what's happening is very, from very early on, very subtly, very, very slow, slowly but surely, what they're being taught is you question everything, God included. That church stuff that you're getting, hmm, is it really right? By the time we get to the university, we literally have an all-out frontal spiritual attack on our kids, ripping apart, literally ripping apart, the foundations that they, they, they grew up with. Okay. Why is it critical? that our home churches are very strong in the Lord. You know, how you, you know how you test something? You know how you find a counterfeit? In order to spot a counterfeit, you must know what? The real thing. You've got to know it, and you've got to know it well. There's two um, places that I, I want you to look. They're in the same book that I think kind of come around this idea of how do you become a body of people, a body of home churches, if you will, that learn how to test what's going on. Um, over here in 1 John, 1 John 2, 18, and then we'll go to 1 John 4, 1 to 6, are some words worth looking at around this idea of, of what Jesus is looking for. I want you to test the spirits. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. Let's, let's uh, turn there first. 
And we're going to begin uh, at verse 18 is where we'll start. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 18. Okay. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That it might become plain that they are not of us. But you, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Go down to verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from, from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you to abide in him. Kind of an interesting word from John. What is he saying? You're in the last hour. Okay? Lines up exactly with the apocalypse. We're in the last time. Okay? He says, now here's what happened. You've heard of the Antichrist. And then he says, there are many Antichrists who have already come. How many of you, before we started this book, you, you, you at least heard of the Antichrist, right? Okay. Most of us grew up with some picture in our mind of what Antichrist is. Usually it's a scary picture, right? I used to stay up late when I was a kid. I watched this uh, show called uh, Project Terror, and I, I love it. You know, they have the mummy. I mean, honestly, why are you even afraid of a mummy? You're like, just run. I mean, the, the thing is like... <laughs> Ooh, I'm like, just, just run. I mean, um, you kind of get these mummy-like pictures in your mind of the Antichrist. It's kind of an interesting word. It's composite. Anti means, of course, against, right? Christos, I am against Christ. So here's what you find when you look at the Bible. You're going to find that it is plural and immediate. All right? So here in 1 John, the term is used in the plural. There are many Antichrists. Many Antichrists. So are they monsters? No. Okay. Are they demons? Yes. Are they people under the manipulation of demons? Yes. Okay. And so you, what you have is a picture of what's going on really in our world today. There are many antichrists that are out to deceive you. Where do they come from? This is kind of interesting. In 1 John, notice where they came from. From the church. They went out from us. Did you hear those words? They went out from us. One of the things I've learned is that there, there is a spirit of Antichristos alive and well in the church today. In other words, when I turn on the TV and I'm listening to a preacher, do I say, what a, be what a beautiful, oh, my, what a great message that is. Hmm. Not so sure. I go to a church and someone says, well, here's the word of God. Hmm. Really? So what the Bible is saying is the people that lived in Ephesus 
The thing that they were doing right, one of the things they were doing right, is they were a body of people who said, we need to know the truth, right, so that when we go out into the world and we get to hear from antichristoi, these many antichrists, some of them are going to be immediately evident. You can look at them and go, that is not right, all right? Most of them are not. Most of them are very hard to discern. And so what happens is we've get, we get our kids out into the world and all of a sudden we're listening to them talk about their spirituality and it sounds very different. It sounds very different. It has an element of Christianity to it, but it's different. Okay? Um, you'll find, I, I've found this. Uh, I, I've, I've gone in and just listened to kids in um, not public school settings. Christian settings, including Lutheran Christian settings. Just listen to the kids. Talk to them, ask them some questions. Here's what I find. In, in our world today, most of our, even Christian schools, <clears throat> are filled up with kids that are, in essence, um, agnostics. Now, we would call them theistic agnostics. We're going to qualify that. <clears throat> Here's what it means. They themselves would acknowledge <clears throat> that Jesus works for them. They say, yep, Jesus, good, good to go. Love Jesus, great guy. But if you stopped and said to them, well, what about your buddy who is Islamic and play, you play soccer with them? Are they good? They're good. They just have a different way of understanding God. How about your, how about your friend that's got, <clears throat> gotten himself into this Hindu deal? Is he, they're okay? It's what works for them. Because they're living in a culture that's filled up with antichristoi. People manipulated by demons, fallen angels, to a place where what's taught sounds really good, feels really good, fits me, I like it. But in essence, takes me away from Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you is, as a pastor, if I'm walking into Christian schools and Lutheran Christian schools, and I'm finding the spirit of, of, of theistic um, um, it, alive and well there, I know that in, in our world today, oh my goodness gracious, what's happening is we have a demonic attack that's going on <clears throat> on inside of the church today. And, and what John is trying to say is learn how to test those spirits to see whether or not they are from Jesus Christ. All right? So uh, what, I'm, what I think we're trying to do is is whether it's our Christian schools, our Lutheran schools, or, or whatever, we want to try to say, hey, let's make sure that we're doing what? Lifting up the Word of God in a way, such a way, that it's really helping our kids come to know this is what is true so we can do what? Test those spirits. Most importantly, it's what goes on in your homes. And it's why I, I just want to promote over and over and over and over again, how do we come up underneath and serve parents and families in a way that allows you to get your kids to that place, to get you to that place where you can say, yep, this is, this is true. This is pseudo. It's false. All right. Flip over to chapter four. You get somewhat the same thing in chapter four, beginning verse one. And I'm just going to run through uh, the first six verses here. Still John writing this. First John 4, right, says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, okay, a little bit different word here, for many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And then he writes, and I like these words, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Okay. It's the same idea, right? And so what, what's happening is John is, is, is receiving this word from Jesus. He's going to the church and he's saying, I want to encourage you to continue doing something that you're doing very, very well. And that is preparing to go out and attest and to know whether this spirit is from God or whether it is anti-Christos. It is literally against who Jesus Christ is. Now, I will say that you, you, you will find that throughout the book of Revelation, there is a singular use of the term antichrist, okay, who, <clears throat> who will come. So today, I would say, are there antichrists in the world? Absolutely. I mean, John, John says it. We, we are in that last hour. I anticipate that. But will there come someone who is the Antichrist? Yes. What, what will that be? Again, not a monster, but a person. And that person will signal what I like to call the half a time. All right? So in, in, in Revelation terms, there's a time and a time and a half a time. That half a time being the very last part of the last hour. And uh, the Antichrist, who will he be? Well, I mean, you get people who've written books about this for years, right? This is who it is. This is the Antichrist. You know, I mean, people, Hitler is the Antichrist. Uh, the President of the United States, he's the Antichrist. I'm like, well, actually, all of those people are in a, re can, can be, can be, woo, in a very real sense, Antichristos, all right? If they are promoting something that is against Jesus Christ as the only way, guess what they are? Antichrist. So I, I'm not going to pick on, 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 I am, but I'm not going to pick on anyone. If somebody who's a leader of a nation is, is making statements that sound something like this, these are our Muslim brothers. Their, their way is fine. You have your way, they have their. Is that not the spirit of Antichristos? Yes, it is. Why? Because I'm growing up in a culture that is saying what? It's all okay. And it's taking me away from the only one who is capable of saving us for eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. So I think in our homes and our schools, one of the key things that we want to think about doing, and this is what the, the Spirit is saying, is how do you now just, just help, help ourselves become more and more aware of this is what's true, this is what's not. And then the last note I'll give you, uh, based on what John has said, is you've got a helper who lives inside of you. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And the thing that you trust more than anything else is that that Spirit of God will continue to work in his people to give us clarity over, yes, this is truth, no, that is not truth. I just challenge all of us, you know, as a body, to make sure we, we really have to be vigilant about making sure that the, the word that we have is a word of truth. And it's what John is um, actually commending the church for.
Notice the next thing he's commending the church for. He says, I, I know, I know that you are enduring patiently and you are bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. All right. So it comes back to this, this endurance work. He's saying, I know this about you, that as, as you live in this city and you go out into it with the word of God and you come under attack, which they did, and you come under persecution, what you're doing very well is you're depending upon me. You're bearing up underneath it. All right. So this is a body of people who, who on a regular basis come up underneath Jesus Christ and they say, Lord, would you give us the strength to go out and to fight this battle today? And I love those words. It has not grown weary. Question for you. And then I'm going to get to this but. Important. You ever, you ever walk into a church that's grown weary? What does that look like? Church that's grown weary? It's kind of like just kind of that, you, you almost can feel it, that little bit of that. Um, -dum -dum -dum. What have they lost? Sense of urgency? Right? Sense, sense of mission? It's just gone. I, I can't tell you how many times I walked into church and I'm like, oh, do you, are you guys on a mission for the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you talking about? We're having a picnic this afternoon. Would you like to come to that? <laughs> I'm like, well... That, that sounds good. I guess it's, I guess it's good. But it, you can almost hear it. It's like that ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. And when that happens, you, you've moved away from the very thing God's called us to. This, this church in Ephesus recognizes we're in a battle. We've got all this, these teachers out here that are promoting themselves as prophets of God. Nicolaitans above all, who are telling people, yeah, this is what, this is what Jesus taught. This is what God taught. And we've got to go fight that battle out there. We've got to bring the truth to people. And uh, it's easy to grow weary in that. This is a spiritual battle. But they are good at doing what? Making sure that they're being filled up with the Spirit of God and saying, we surrender our strength to yours because we, we will fail otherwise. All right, go to verse 4, but. So now we move to what we're going to call the rebuke. And to me, <clears throat> it's significant uh, to pay attention to the ordering of these letters because this very first letter starts with what I'm going to call probably the most important, important component of, of a body belonging to Jesus Christ. Here's what it says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Wow. You've abandoned the love that you had at first, okay? Here, here's something that I've, I've kind of over the years adopted just language-wise, all right? Um, one of the things I like to ask people is, what are you more interested in when it comes to Jesus? What is he more interested in when it comes to Jesus? Relationship or religion? What's the difference between the two? You can have religion without relationship. Is that right? Re religion basically is what? I mean, it's a word that signals to us that we have rituals. Things that we do. Right? They've come down to us. Um, sometimes we even go so far as to take those rituals and turn them into what? 
idols. We idolize them. This is the way that you do this. This is the way that this must be done. If you don't do it this way, it's wrong, right? So that we're so caught up in the ritual that we lose sight of what? Relationship, okay? And so when you look at what Jesus calls us to, it's not religion. It's not, here's the way you do it, okay? It's what? It's relationship with him. And, and I'll, I'll go back into our, our own history as a church body. Uh, Martin Luther, if you remember Martin Luther, was asked fairly early on during the Reformation period to create a ritual, a worship service. Um, why? Well, because the body was departing out, coming out of Catholicism, and the, the cry was, if we come out of Catholicism, we don't want to do it that way anymore, so please give us another way to do it. Do you remember what Luther did? Refused. He literally said to the body, I won't do it. I'm not going to give you a ritual. Here's why. The minute I give you a ritual, you're going to turn it into an idol, and it's going to stay an idol forever. Oh, I won't do it. Okay? Now, Luther had a friend by the name of Thomas. And Thomas was kind of that Jiminy Cricket in his ear that would kind of talk him down from things. So when Luther did things like this, Thomas would sit him down, and they would have <clears throat> Luther and Kool-Aid together. And Thomas would say things like, Luther, um, I think you should, should rethink that a little bit. And, and he did. And he actually did write what is called the Deutsche Masse, uh, an, an order of service. And guess what? He gave it to the church. And, and early on, the church began to use that. And guess what they did? They turned it into an idol. All right. Now, thank God we don't do that in the Lutheran church anymore today. Right? <laughs> okay, here's what happens is, we can become so caught up in our rituals that we actually lose relationship with Jesus Christ. First and foremost, what Christianity is, it's a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. Here, here's what I find happens, and, and I'm just being honest with you guys. All right. Over, over my years in life, I've had the, just the beautiful privilege, and I count it my highest privilege, of actually walking with people, of seeing God bring people into faith relationships with Jesus Christ. And every single time, you get people who are just fired up excited for Jesus Christ. You ever notice that? I mean, they're like a firecracker. They're like, why isn't everybody just reading their Bible? Why isn't everybody just soaking? They're like a sponge just soaking this stuff in, right? And then they, then they go to church, and guess what we try to do? Let's beat it out of them, right? I'm like, what's going on? But seriously, they walk into a church, they're like, hey, you guys all have your Bibles out. You're like reading that stuff, right? No. Left mine at home. They're like, how could that possibly be? Okay. Well, what happens is it's quite possible for, for you to be doing some really right things and to hold on to rituals and even know this is the truth, but to do what? To lose that sense of relationship. It's a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And that love relationship requires what? Daily attendance. Right? I, it's, a, it's a daily talking to him, uh, thanking him, coming before him and saying, I, you know, what do, we, what do we do with people that we love? I mean, you just did it for Valentine's Day. You bought chocolate or, or something and said, here you go. With him, he says, the sacrifice I want from you is your heart. And we come before him. And so what he's saying is, I'm watching you, church, and here's what I've noticed is you lost your first love. So what does he say? Look at verse 5. He says, remember, remember therefore 
from where you have fallen. Go back in your minds to that place where we were close. We talked. It wasn't about ritual. Then he uses the big word right here. Repent. Okay? Come back to me. And again, when he says that word, repent, he's not saying that you have the power to do it. He's saying, in the spirit of God, come back to me. Let's fall in love again. All right? And do the works that you did at first. All right? Come back to those works that were birthed out of love. You didn't do them because you had to or because somebody called you and said, sign up for this. You did them because you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait to serve me with all of your heart. Imagine, imagine a body of people, what we call a church today, where instead of, uh, okay, we need folks to help go out to uh, Kingswood and, and uh, we're going to be spreading the gospel amongst people who, who live in a, a trailer park. Instead of having people go, oh man, we're doing that again. I, I suppose we got my, my wife, I suppose I got to sign up. Now, think about a body of people that are so in love with Jesus Christ that they're like, let me at it, right? Why? Because I want somebody else to know that Jesus, that I know, all right? Imagine that. That's what he's saying, is return to those works that flow out of love. And the only way you get there, again, is the Spirit of God who brings you back to that. Now, let's close with this, because this is, this is significant. He always ends these letters, call to repentance, right? But he always ends these letters with a very strong word, but if you do not. All right, so listen to this. He says, if not, if you do not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now remember what the lampstand is. The lampstand, remember, represents the church itself. The sevenfold presence of Jesus Christ Right? Each of those little, what we'll call containers of oil, we, we would have candles, but it's oil, represents the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine Jesus saying, I will remove that from you. Okay, last question for the day. Think about this, but be honest about it. You ever been in a church where the Holy Spirit's gone? Scariest thing in the world to me. Because every time I walk into that thing, I'm saying to myself, did he remove the lampstand? Is it gone? Now, I've, I've had a lot of people, you know, kind of speak to me about this stuff. And there are people, oh, no, God, Jesus wouldn't do that. I'm like, yes, he does. There's times when he actually removes his lampstand. And when that lampstand gets removed, guess what happens? You have a body of people that are stuck in religion. And typically, they will just destroy themselves, right? And Antichristos is happy about that. So what he's saying to the church in Ephesus, and we get to hear it today, is make it about relationship. And out of relationship come these works of love. And in your community, go out and be able to say, that is of Jesus, that is not. And that's Ephesus, and that's, I think it's a very relevant word for the church today.